good evening, beloved. Trust that you are doing well this evening. If you have a copy of God's Word, go to Romans chapter 2. I know this is an unusual situation for us all. Um, it is certainly strange uh, preaching to an empty room this evening, but hopefully you have God's Word there in front of you. You've had enough time to get to Romans chapter 2. We're going to be considering verses 17 through 29 together this evening, and so I just want to let you know that I love you all, and I miss you all, and I can't wait until we get to actually do this in person again. So, Romans chapter 2, and for the sake of our reading together this evening, I'm going to limit myself to reading just down to the end of verse 24. So, Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse number 17, this is God's word to his people. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So with God's word ringing into our ears this evening, let's go to him in prayer. Father, we trust you uh, completely, even in these days that seem difficult. And so in the moments to come, as we try and consider your word together, I pray that you would give me a clarity of mind as I recall what I've studied. And, and God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to believe your word is being true. Father, we do think tonight of all of our friends across the city trying to make these teaching moments and events take place even away from their normal routine. So be with us as we dive into your word this evening. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, normally I find myself looking for illustrations and stories to open sermons for us. But tonight, our current situation that we are going through is actually the perfect illustration for this sermon. If you see the the title of the sermon as being false security, we are guilty as a people of often finding our security in things that aren't as secure as we believe them to be or in the last few days have seen them to be. Many of us are guilty in finding our security in life, uh, in our job, our finances, our health, our status, or even our popularity at school, in relationships, in identity markers that can be seen. But when all of those things are stripped away, when all of those things are pulled away from us, and even right now, as many of you are listening to this sermon in in relative isolation from people, we have found in the last few days and in the last few weeks, and what will probably be even clearer in the coming days, is just how false a sense of security we have truly had. And what's actually remarkable is throughout history, Christians have never really found themselves to be that safe of a people. 
it isn't until rarely, uh, or actually very recently in human history that Christians have operated with the freedom that we exercise even today. Uh, It's not so long ago that many Christians would have been fearful for their own lives for practicing what it means to follow Christ. And yet here we find ourselves, not in similar situations as those Christians, but just operating with different securities than most people have. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people here in Romans chapter 2 that would find their security in things other than a renewed heart and a renewed mind, other than in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but rather they would be focused on, they would be thinking about, and they would be living for their own sense of false security. Tonight, what we hope to do in the coming moments is to explore what false security looks like and then how we can have true security in life. So first, let's observe uh, one of two ways in which we can see uh, false security broken down. Number one, it's not in what you know. It's not in what you know. Look at verse 17. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Paul, writing to these Jews, encourages them to understand that their knowledge of religious things cannot save them. These Jews had found their sense of security from being able to claim the things that they knew. They had a high level of understanding of the law because of their studies. And in reality, that's not enough to save you. And in fact, this is what most of modern Christianity could be accused of. A a lot of knowledge about God, a lot of knowledge about Christ, a lot of knowledge about what it means to follow Christ. But very little of it is put into actual practice. These Jews bragged about their possession and knowledge of the law. Think about that for a second. They bragged about their possession and knowledge of the law. They had God's word, and rather than submitting to it and seeing their own sinfulness, what they actually do is turn around and brag about how much they know. They were arrogant to point people to the fact that they had it, they knew it, And that they observed it. They were very arrogant about their own possession of God's word. How funny is it? I guess we shouldn't say it's funny. How sad is it that we find ourselves in the 21st century world with many so-called Christians operating under these same principles. They find themselves bragging because they know so much of God's word. They find themselves bragging because they've read the latest blog articles and they've listened to podcasts and they know the ins and outs of who's preaching at what conference. Or even worse, they love to pull out their pet verses. Context need not matter. And they apply it with impunity, meaning they just kind of toss around verses from God's word as if they're experts when in reality, very little of it has penetrated 
their heart. Knowledge is a dangerous thing when it is applied incorrectly. When it's applied to an arrogant and prideful heart, what knowledge does is it puffs up, it builds up, it brings us to a point where we think, I'm better than so-and-so because I know more of God's word. Many of us can be tempted in this way. Especially those of us who have grown up in church. Think about who Paul is talking to here. He's talking to people who were well-versed in God's word. For those of us who have grown up in church, it becomes easy to begin to know all the right answers and how to say them in all the right places to convince everybody that you are a super Christian. When in the reality of things, you probably have applied little of it. I I love the program Awana. I participated in it as a kid. I know many of you have participated in it here either at this church or at another church and it's wonderful because it teaches children to hide God's word in its in their heart the problem though at times can be that we have memorized something to get a uh, check mark a signature an award a stamp of approval someone to think that we're much smarter than we actually are when in reality that word has never penetrated to our heart and that's what the apostle paul turns this on these jewish people look at verse 21 you therefore who teach another do you not teach yourself you who preach that a man should not steal Do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. The Apostle Paul turns all of this knowledge on its head when he asks if they are any better because of the things that they supposedly know. The answer is a resounding no. They steal, commit adultery, rob God, and in general, they break the law. So these people who are bragging about their knowledge, bragging about their rights, bragging about how wonderful and awesome they are, when Paul actually puts the magnifying glass of God's word against their heart, what we see is a dead heart. They are no better because of their knowledge. In fact, we could make the argument that they are worse off for their knowledge because they've been inoculated to the truth of what they need to hear. Not that the law is meant to show them how great they could be, but the law is supposed to illuminate how bad they actually are. And as a result of it, we read in verse 24, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. The Gentiles actually have a poor view of the Jewish people because they look and they act like they should be closer to God than they really are. I'm fearful at times that the same could be said of those of us who claim to know Christ. That God's word is blasphemed among them because we appear godly with no actual godliness at the base level. So I'd ask you tonight, are you trusting in religious knowledge to to save you? Do you think that your religious knowledge is enough to cover sin? 
Sure, you can sit in a small group. You can, again, going back to last week, you can fool me. You can fool deacons. You can fool other pastors. You can fool the people in your small groups. But deep down in your heart, you know I'm answering questions with answers that have never actually been applied to my life. So we see first and foremost that the way that uh, false security is exposed is number one, not in what you know, and then number two, not in who you know. So it's not what you know or who you know that gives you security. Look at verses 25 through 27. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? We read these verses, and in a 21st century mind, we we really don't understand or value the Old Testament as we should. We get to passages about circumcision in our Bible reading, and because of the way that we think, we, we run past them because it's difficult or even, for some, a little gross to think about circumcision. But in the Old Testament time, and we think specifically about Abraham, Circumcision is a gift from God that marks them out as God's covenant people. But here, if the Jews were guilty of thinking they were okay because of knowledge, they were also even more guilty of thinking their association with Jews or with Jewishness could save them. We think about circumcision as this badge of honor, as it was signified that they were part of God's chosen people however it was also a call to live differently from the world around them abraham is circumcised and then lives differently in the world around him that was the call of circumcision this idea to look different to live different to be different from the world it was a calling out if you will, to be separate. This was God's chosen people. When we read through the first five books of the Bible and, and, and we see the, the law and the requirements that are given to God's chosen people, they're not given because God is a, a jealous and mean taskmaster who really just desires only to make himself known and, and, and makes requirements that are heavy and burdensome. On his people. No, these requirements in the law were to call out the nation of Israel as being separate from the world around them. That's what circumcision was supposed to do. And Paul is driving at this here when he notes that there is no value to circumcision if you continually break the law. You can't say, I am a chosen part of God's people, a a, a Jew who's been circumcised, and then not follow what he has called you to live like. Christians are guilty of bringing the same judgment on themselves when they proclaim to follow Christ, but don't. You can claim to be a Christian. You can go to church. 
God, help us you can even serve at church. But none of those things ultimately matter if you don't live for Christ in the day-to-day life. There's got to be a penetration that takes place. We say it often this way. Your theology must move from your head to your feet. Nowhere are we more challenged by this than in our current day and situation. Nowhere are we more challenged to think about the way in which we live than as people who ultimately are called to live uniquely different from the world around us. Christians, more often than not throughout history, have found themselves on the front lines of every kind of evil, every kind of pandemic, every kind of world tragedy. Because I understand the calling to live separately from this world means that ultimately this world is not my home. It it often means that Christians are the first one in and the last out when thinking about loving their neighbor as themselves. And yet, more often than not, reproach is brought on the name of Christ by Christians who claim to be Christians, yet don't live like them. So if you were going to ask me, what does this mean? I would just say this, simply, quit playing games. No, not video games, not board games, not whatever it is that you delight in in your free time. Quit playing the game of being a Christian and not living like one. This idea that I can show up here on a Wednesday night or I can show up here on a Sunday morning or I can come to small groups or an activity here or there and I'll look like I'm in while I secretly live a life that's inconsistent with following Christ. You are going to be put to the test over coming days about how sincerely you take what it means to follow Christ. And I would imagine that in the coming days, what we're going to see, not just in our college ministry, not just in our church, but in the evangelical world as a whole, is this idea that these people, people who claim to know Christ, yet actually do not know him, do not follow him, will be culled out from the herd. Why? Because there is no more status to maintain. When you live in isolation, when you're not allowed to gather with people, when there is no social status that comes from being here on a Wednesday or being here on a Sunday morning or being here on a Sunday night, you may not give a rip about following Christ. And I would tell you that that's a prime example that you don't actually know him. One good way to check your heart to see if it's actually been regenerated is does it bother you right now that you can't assemble with other believers? It bothers me right now. It bothers me because I drove across town 
it, it bothers me because I drove across town knowing the entire time I was driving across town, there is going to be no one sitting in the chairs to listen to this sermon. As much as I love to preach, preaching is a benefit that comes when there are people to see and to preach too. This is a strange phenomenon. These are strange days that we find ourselves in. I find myself driving across town and, and I've not even stepped to the pulpit to preach the sermon for Wednesday night and yet I am discouraged. Why? Is it because I'm not ready to go? No. Is it because I'm fearful of what people will think? No. The true sorrow that comes as a result, the discouragement that comes is the fact of knowing that you, beloved, will not be here. That we will not celebrate in this together. That we will not sit under God's word together. That we will not worship together. We've barely been apart for a week. And I already miss the sound of us singing together. Not because we're great or good or because we sound like we could take this on the road, but because the voices lifted up singing to God together are a music and a melody to my own soul and my own life. The the being able to physically check in on one another, to see your face, to know that you're okay or not okay. And not through a text message or through a phone call or through a Zoom call, but face-to-face flesh and blood to enjoy a cup of coffee together or to enjoy a meal together. If you find yourself not longing for these things, if it does not bother you that you cannot gather together with other believers, this might be an evident sign that you truly have put security in an appearance of following Christ rather than following Him genuinely. Are you trying to grab your way to Christ? Are you hoping that being next to Christians will secure eternity for you as if you're in line going somewhere and the Christian can say, that's okay, he's with us, she's with us. Beloved, no such thing will secure eternity for you. So what can, or where can we turn to to find security? If it doesn't come from who you know or what you know, where can security be found? Well, number three, finally tonight, security comes through a new heart. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Paul ends this section by telling his readers that the only way they could experience transformation was through a new heart. And for you tonight, regardless of where you sit or hear this sermon from, the only hope you have for all of eternity, the only security you can truly have comes through a renewed heart. Humanity's great need tonight is not an outward physical sign like circumcision, but an inward transformation, a circumcision of the heart. Without that circumcision, 
without that transformation, there is no security. You can have all of the fake security this world has to offer you. And like I've said before, when we consider where we sit in the course of human history, pandemics go and pandemics come. They, they, are, they have happened before, and more likely than not, if history is any indicator, they will happen again. And no matter what you do to escape the pandemic of this world, there is a sickness that is deeper than any pandemic has ever proven, and that is the sin sickness of your own heart. And without this circumcision that takes place, by God, that of the heart and the spirit is the only thing that can save you. There are many people who today are trusting in their religiousness to save them. Gentiles, if you think, though, well, this is a weird passage because it's just speaking to Jews. Gentiles would be hearing this read into their ears as well. And they would easily remember their own religiosity, their own spirituality, their own spiritualness that tried to uh, alleviate the calls and the longings of their heart for something other than Jesus. The sad part beyond this is there are people who think that some form of spirituality or some form of religiousness can save them. There are some of them at our churches around the globe. There are some of them that are at Crossway. And no doubt tonight there are some who are part of Crave. Stop trusting in you and your actions to save you. Trust in Christ alone. So I would ask you tonight, Have you experienced transformation through Jesus Christ? And then for the Christian thinking about this, are you living in light of that transformation? Is that transformation an active, relevant part of your day-to-day life? And if it is not, if it is not, then we need to reevaluate where we are. We need to think about who we are and we need to run to Jesus and help him, ask him to help us be prodded along, spurred on to think about how we can live in light of that transformation. In the days that we are living in, people want security. The Bible gives us one place where that security can be found, and that's in Christ alone. For Christians, this is what we must remind ourselves of daily, point others to as well. We may think that because of our limited access to people physically that we can't proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. God in his kindness and in his providence has given us more ways than we've ever known to be able to proclaim God's goodness to those around us. Let's be about that business no matter what the obstacles to actually sharing it might be. Let's be Christians who recognize that false security is no way to live and that security found in Jesus Christ is the only way to actually have true and lasting freedom as well as security. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we trust you and we love you. We're thankful for the time that we've been able to hear your word. We ask that in the moments to come, your spirit might convict as we think about, meditate, and uh, live in the reality of this word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.